to the Friday edition of Main Street Sports Today, the weekend update as we get you ready for a bunch of activity here over the next, what, two and a half, three days, I guess. I'm Maurice Patton. That is Wade, who hopefully is going to get his camera adjusted ever so slightly so we're not cutting off the top of his head. Um, conspicuously absent today, Chris Yao who's a little under the weather and hoping he can get to feeling better and be back for Monday. But in the meantime, as I said, we are going to get you ready for the weekend. Wade, before we get folks ready for the check in right now, because your national champion Wolverines are in a little bit of flux, I guess, with the news from a couple of days ago. Yeah, you know, uh, you got to take the good with the bad, I suppose. And Harbaugh is now out. I guess the good news, if you're a Michigan fan, is uh, looks like Coach Moore is potentially going to be in line to take over. That's about as smooth of a transition, I guess, as you could ever hope for. But uh, yeah, there's is always something. And and how crazy is it that three of your four college football playoff teams uh, have had coaching changes all within two weeks of one another? Sark, the last man standing in that four chair musical chairs contest, I guess. But yeah, very, very, very interesting off season for allegedly the best teams in college football this year. So um, yeah, just wanted to get you to weigh in on that. I knew you'd have some thoughts. And as Chris and I were saying, if not Sharon Moore, who? You know, uh, that's that's the million-dollar question, and because it's kind of happened so late, uh, I think you've kind of pigeonholed yourself into, yeah, he is going to be the guy, and I think everybody within the Michigan program uh, hopes or expects he's going to be the guy, but if something kind of were to go sideways, uh, they do have Mike Hart, former Michigan legend, on staff who's, you know, potentially a guy waiting in the wings. I don't know that he's really, really ready to step up to that level just yet. Uh the rumor mill has kind of been crazy. They did. Uh, the Athletic had an article. Brian Kelly was mentioned on the list, and I kind of just uh, – I kind of groaned at that, thinking about the mm -hmm. former Notre Dame guy who suddenly developed a, a Cajun accent overnight uh, going to Michigan. But uh, hopefully Coach Moore will just take back over and things will at least be as seamless as possible in that regard. Not a very good Cajun accent at that. But, um, no. Yeah, that – that may be the extent of our college football discussion today because we've got Thomas Harding from MLB.com coming up. He was fortunate enough in his longtime capacity as beat writer for the Colorado Rockies to be on hand when Todd Hilton got the phone call earlier this week. So we're going to check in with him and get some thoughts on how that went. Um, also going to... Um, give you some highlights from the Brian Callahan introductory press conference from yesterday. We'll be talking with Terry McCormick a little bit more in the second hour on what we might expect and what would come next after Brian Callahan's official arrival announcement introduction as the new coach of the Tennessee Titans and what's coming up behind that. Also, Chris Lee will join us in the second hour talking a little Southeastern Conference basketball, big weekend coming up on the hardwood. And NFL Conference Championship Games on Sunday. 
we'll be talking a little bit about that. Um, there was at least one other coaching hire made here in the last 24 hours or so, or, or confirmed, perhaps. Um, we've got some MVP finalists that have been named, so we'll talk a little bit about that. And, of course, we will have our predictions on the NFC and AFC championship games. So get in, sit down, shut up, and hang on. It's going to be a fun two hours here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint, as we are in the Lee Company studios of our respective abodes. So it's going to be fun. Wade? You're I'm pumped for Yeah, I'm pumped for a good show. I hate uh Chris is a little under the weather, but uh, hey, let's do this thing. It's a feel-good Friday. Let's do this thing, and let's start this thing with yesterday's scores and the weekend's results on the rundown. This is the rundown. The Friday Rundown is brought to you by Chip Walters of Exit Realty, Bob Lamb & Associates. The Blue Raider voice also wants to be your trusted advisor in real estate. Contact Chip at 615-542-1915 or through his website at choosechip.net. Chip Walters, proud to support youth sports across Middle Tennessee. All right, folks, in girls basketball yesterday, uh, we have Beach 50, Green Hill 33. Blackman was a 49-44 winner over Oakland. It was Richland on the hardwood last night with a win 49-42 over Kolioka. East Nashville taking care of Whites Creek 57-28. Brentwood Academy wins a close one 43-40 versus Innsworth. In another close ball game, Clarksville Academy 39, Ezell Harding 35. Clarksville Northeast dispatched uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Ooh, 63 to 15. Very lopsided score there. Good pasture 56, Davidson Academy 24. Santa Fe knocks off Hampshire 57 to 22. Henry County a 59 to 35 winner over Clarksville Northwest. It was Cane Ridge winning by a deuce 44 to 42 over Hillsboro. McGavick takes care of John Overton 59 to 46. Tullahoma with a nice win 47-40 versus Lawrence County. Loretto takes care of Mount Pleasant in convincing fashion, 65-7. It is Nashville Christian, 53. Friendship Christian, 19. Harpeth Hall, 58. Pope John Paul II, 40. Providence Christian, 55. Middle Tennessee Christian, 49. Rossview, 65. West Creek, 32. CPA, a winner, 59-18 over St. Cecilia Academy. And it was White House, 57. Merrill Hyde, 37. Final couple of games, Stewart's Creek, 42. Wilson Central, 34. And Zion Christian knocks off Franklin Classical by a score of 38-23. to In boys' basketball action on Thursday night, Beach came up with a 58-43 win over Green Hill. It was Blackman downing Oakland, 67-38. Rivers, I'm sorry, Richland with a 56-40 win over Kolioka. Brentwood Academy downed Ensworth, 66-39. Ezell Harding, 54-51 over Clarksville Academy. Good Pasture with an 83-58 win over Davidson Academy. Santa Fe, 54, Hampshire, 23. Henry County with a 60-48 win over Clarksville Northwest. Hillsborough defeated Cane Ridge, 56-49. It was Overton, 67, McGavick, 50. Lawrence County with a 68-53 win over Tullahoma. Loretto defeated Mount Pleasant, 58-44. It was Friendship Christian, 71. Nashville Christian, 59. 
Hope Prep continues its tear with a 54-52 win over Montgomery Bell Academy. Providence Christian down Middle Tennessee Christian 74-22. Rossview with a 67-53 win over West Creek. Columbia Academy goes over to Webb and completes the regular season sweep with a 62-55 win there over the feet. White House 92, Merrill Hyde 43. Stewart's Creek defeated Wilson Central 60-48. And Franklin Classical with a 61-52 win over Zion Christian. A couple of college scores last night. We begin with men's basketball. Wiley 63, Fisk 55. Stetson was a winner by one, 83-82 over Austin P. Really good game between those two teams. Lipscomb knocks off FGC 98-72. And UT Southern, the Firehawks are staying hot. They get... A 79-74 win over Middle Georgia State. That is head coach Dugan Line's career 100th victory. So uh, congrats to Coach Line and the Firehawks there, friend of the program here. Women's basketball action. Fist knocks off Wiley 79-51. Stetson dispatches Austin P 51-42. Florida Gulf Coast knocks off Lipscomb 75-54. And in uh, the Firehawks action last night, on the hardwood, it was UT Southern knocking off Middle Georgia, 71-52 to is a final there here in Pulaski. Yeah. High school basketball action tonight. These are double headers. Girls game starting at 6, boys games to follow. McGavick is at Antioch. Battleground Academy hosts University School of Nashville. Houston County goes to Big Sandy. Going across the river there. Big rivalry matchup here as Franklin goes to Brentwood. Also, Curry Ingram is at Carroll Academy. Independence goes to Centennial. Clarksville Christian hosts Rossview. Dixon County is at Clarksville Northwest. Columbia Central hosting Dixon, I'm sorry, Lincoln County. There we go. Santa Fe goes to Cornersville. Sycamore is at Creekwood. Edel Harding is at Davidson Academy. Donaldson Christian hosting Friendship Christian. Moore County goes to Eagleville. Cheatham County is at East Hickman. Joe Burns travels to East Robertson. Mount Juliet is at Gallatin. Hampshire hosting Cullioca. Harpeth hosting Hickman County. Green Hill is at Hendersonville. Hillsborough goes to Hunters Lane. Overton takes on visiting Cane Ridge. Kenwood hosts West Creek. White's Creek is at Kip Nashville. Clarksville Northeast is at Kirkwood. Smyrna goes to Laverne. Giles County is at Lawrence County. So Wade, Wade's got a hustle after this one gets over with, I'm sure. And Independence Academy is at Lead Academy. Yeah, we'll be on the move just as soon as we get out of the studio here today, Mo, as uh, that'll be a good one between Giles County and Lawrence County. A couple of other games, doubleheaders, of course. Loretto is at Lewis County. Uh, White House Heritage is at Liberty Creek. Greenbrier will travel to Macon County this evening. Glencliff's on the road at Maplewood. Hume Fogg travels to Martin Luther King. Christian Community visits Merrill Hyde. Franklin Road Academy will travel to Middle Tennessee Christian. Fairview is on the road tonight at Montgomery Central. Zion Christian is at Mount Pleasant. Franklin County is at Murfreesboro Central Magnet. Big district matchup there between the, those two teams. Clarksville Academy and Nashville Christian will get it on tonight. That game is being played at Nashville Christian. Ravenwood is at Nolansville. Rockvale travels to Oakland. Always a classic matchup there in the uh, Murfreesboro rivalry as those two teams will get it on tonight. Station Camp travels to Portland. Grace Christian Franklin is on the road at Providence Christian. Stratford visits Republic. Siegel is at Riverdale. Another Murfreesboro battle this evening. Clarksville is at Springfield. Warren County travels to Spring Hill. Pearl Cone will visit STEM Academy. Final few games, it'll be Cookville at Stewart's Creek. Page will travel to Summit. 
Lawson is at Valor Collegiate. York Institute is at Watertown. And then Lebanon will visit Wilson Central. A lot of good rivalry games on the docket tonight, Mo. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Saturday doubleheaders. Um, Pope Prep goes to Brentwood Academy tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Also Franklin Road Academy. Franklin Road Academy is at Columbia Academy. That's a 1 o'clock start right there. At 6 o'clock, Waverly is at Dixon County. At 2 o'clock, Franklin Christian goes to F.C. Boyd. At 1 o'clock, Ensworth is at Father Ryan. 6 o'clock start for Mount Pleasant at Frank Hughes. Um, Christ Presbyterian is at Harpeth Hall. That is a girls-only game at 3 o'clock. Springfield is at Kirkwood at 4. St. Cecilia is at Lipscomb Academy. Again, that's a girls-only game at 6. Summertown is at Moore County. Marshall County goes to Murfreesboro Central. Greenbrier is at Portland. The McDonald's shootout. Columbia Central is at Spring Hill. That's a 6 o'clock start. And also at 6, Fairview is at Sycamore. Need to go back into tonight's games for just a second. Um, That Zion Christian Mount Pleasant game has been moved. It is at Zion Christian due to some facility issues on the Mount Pleasant campus. So again, tonight, 6 o'clock, Mount Pleasant at Zion Christian. Boys only game. Webb is at Battleground Academy tonight. That's a 6 o'clock start. In women's basketball tonight, Belmont goes to Missouri State on... Oh, go ahead, wait. Yeah, uh, sorry, Mo. As uh, Saturday, we'll close this out here. Saturday, busy weekend on the hardwood. Austin P versus Florida Gulf Coast. Lipscomb is uh, taking on Stetson. MTSU travels to FIU. TSU will visit EIU. I think I got all that right. Uh, also, yeah, precisely. Also, still to come, you got uh, several of the other games I just mentioned. But let's not forget, UT is at Vandy. Uh, coming up on Saturday. Also, bonus games on Saturday. UT Southern will be in action versus Bruton Parker. Both of those games will be played in Pulaski. That doubleheader uh, starts at noon. In the NHL on Saturday, the Preds will travel to Edmonton, listed at a 4 p.m. start time. The Grizz will take on the Orlando Magic this evening at 8 p.m. And then, as Mo teased earlier, on Sunday, Championship Sunday, Kansas City travels to Baltimore at 3 o'clock, and then Detroit will visit San Francisco. That game is set for 6.30. Absolutely. Um, You mentioned that Tennessee-Vanderbilt game. That's a 5 o'clock start at Memorial Gym. It can be seen on the SEC Network. And that's your rundown. Top story brought to you, as always, by Piggly Wiggly, the big pig over in Neely's Mill here in Columbia, or there in Columbia, since I'm not in Columbia. But, um, be sure and check out the delicious deli, delicious daily deli lunch menu. That's it. There we go. Also, hand-cut meats and everything is cost 10% there at the Piggly Wiggly over in Neely's Mill right there as you head out of Columbia heading toward Mount Pleasant. Wade, we like to give women's basketball its due when we have the opportunity and last night's game in Baton Rouge did not disappoint. The only disappointment is I didn't get to see any more of it than I did. But number one South Carolina goes into LSU, the nation's final women's 
Division One undefeated team, and eventually they emerged in the same fashion. It took a while, though. They got down by 12 before rallying to beat Louisiana State, number nine Louisiana State, 76-70. Huge, huge victory for the Gamecocks. Um, great ball game if you like women's basketball. Absolutely, and uh, unfortunately for me, I did not. Uh, I was at Kitchen 218 here in Pulaski, and they had the game on, but I didn't get to catch near enough of it as I would have liked. Um, and that's one that kind of, to me at least, had slipped under my radar. I'm sure it was, you know, uh, blasted everywhere it could be blasted. That's one that kind of snuck up on me, and I felt a little uh, disappointed in myself for not making a little more appointment viewing because anytime those two teams – get it on, in my opinion, it is uh, premier programming, regular season, postseason. They've obviously uh, had some battles over the years. And so another classic tilt. And, yeah, South Carolina just – I know uh, I know you don't necessarily mind it when uh, the LSU ladies occasionally uh, catch a loss from what uh, – uh, I do not mind it when the LSU ladies catch a loss. You, you're absolutely right. A um, couple of Final Four teams there. Obviously, that's a it's a high-powered matchup. Again, South Carolina ranked number one unbeaten. LSU fell to 17-3 and three with that loss, and, and you feel pretty confident that that's not the last time they're going to see each other. So, um, And that, that's kind of the fun uh, of women's basketball, to me at least, is um, – it seems like, yeah, you can almost bank that those two teams are going to meet at a minimum uh, in SEC tournament. It almost feels inevitable, right? And that's the cool part also is it would not shock me whatsoever if we're talking about those two teams meeting, whether it's uh, Elite Eight, Final Four, or potentially you know, even a national championship rematch down the road. Absolutely. Again, they were both in the Final Four last year, so it it, it just fell short of that as LSU won national championship and and i think the southeastern conference would love to see that so um should keeping on those two um as well as tennessee sitting number three in the current sec standings um with the start that they got off to in non-conference play a little surprising that they are where they are but that's where they are so um Looking forward to how this SEC season plays out with South Carolina and LSU at the top of the league, obviously. Um, Justin, let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint, we will be joined by Rockies.com beat writer Thomas Harding. So stay with us. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. 
Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T-ball to college for 50-plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931-388-8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there, and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731, and schedule your tour today. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtb. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated cost plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. 
Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service, and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Welcome back to Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. I'm Maurice Patton. That's Wade Neely. We are coming to you from the Mobile Lee Company studios of our own homes. And Chris Yao is at his home, I presume, a little laid up. Um, hope he gets to feeling better here over the weekend. Take a couple of days. Get back to you. And we'll see you Monday, hopefully. In the meantime, we're going to keep this Friday train rolling with Rockies.com beat writer Thomas Harding, who was in Knoxville earlier this week for the call <laughs> as, as Todd Helton received word that he will be one of four 2024 inductees into the Baseball Hall of Fame, along with Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Jim Leland. Thomas, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Mo. How you feeling? Doing. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling clean. You know. Yeah, there I'm we feeling, go. Got what it takes to win a championship, baby. Absolutely. Hey, how's Denver? It is wonderful. A little cold today. Um, 38 degrees out there. But then again, when I was in Knoxville, they were coming out of the deep freeze. So I think we're in, actually in the national deep freeze right now. Yeah, they were coming out of a deep freeze, so we're 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 not going to complain a whole lot about 38 because things were about 20 degrees yes. colder than that last week. So, um, so did you have any trouble getting into Knoxville? Given that, uh, no, actually, I came just right at the right time, right after it was four degrees there. But then again, you know, 38 degrees here was um, 45 degrees more than it was last week. So that's the way I feel about that. So yes. It was it, it was a tough time, but hey, the the um everything cleared up for Todd. How about that? Forty five degrees warmer. Is that what you yes. said? We're talking Ooh. about minus seven. Goodness. Um. So how was Tuesday, man? I mean, when you get that kind of access to somebody, it's pretty cool. Now, obviously, you and Todd had a had a history, but still, for you to be able to to get there and be on hand for that event. That's a pretty big deal. It is a pretty big deal. And also it's a kind of a nervous situation for Todd. I mean, I've been to two of these and I'm two for two. You know, I, you hate to be in the house where it doesn't happen. I was at Goose Gossage's and, you know, Goose waited forever to get in. And um, I was at his, he, he lived, he lives in Colorado Springs. He's from there. And it was nice to be there for that. And Todd, I mean, he was very nervous leading up to it, kind of pacing around a bit, doing a little bit of everything, I think, to take his mind off of it. But it, it's, a, it's just such a well-deserved honor because of what he did in his career. And I think some of the, um, some of the dislike for the Rockies and Coors Field, hopefully that's fading away. Hopefully they are, they are learning that um, 
it's Major League Baseball. So why, um, you know, why discount it? Yeah, you can't necessarily penalize that guy for where he played half his games. You know, we had John Parado on earlier this week, and he mentioned that that very thing that he kind of had to be swayed over or swayed past the Coors Field effect for Todd Hilton and finally kind of came to the realization that he was getting it done away from Denver just like he was at Denver. So that that kind of pushed him in that direction. But you talk about the nervousness that Todd probably had. And, you know, this was his sixth year on the ballot, which meant five times he didn't get in. And so I would imagine you would be a little a little antsy, even though all of the indications from the ballots that had come in this year kind of made it feel like he was actually going to get in this time around. Still, you don't know until you know. Well, it was a strange situation because I believe there were five voters that voted for him in the past that did not vote for him this time. So that's what made it a nervous situation. And really, in a lot of those cases, it never was explained. I mean, did they just forget what they did the previous year? Did Todd go into a slump last year? I'm not sure. <laughs> here's, what, um, here's what I say about the course field effect. There are two things about it. Number one, when you look at Todd Helton, you look at Larry Walker, all of their vote numbers were better than a large number of Hall of Famers. So you can't discount them. And I think that the course field factor is really misunderstood because, yes, it does elevate you a bit at home. Um, it, it's actually a very big park because you want it to cut down on the number of home runs. So some fly balls fall in. However, the ball doesn't just travel differently off the bat. The ball travels differently out of the pitcher's hand. So when you go on the road and you're looking at a curveball that breaks X amount, or uh, I guess I'll use the words of Walt Weiss many years ago. He said that, um, and we have to kind of date ourselves a bit. He said that what will happen is an average sinker of Coors Field, those first two games in a row, it looks like Kevin Brown is throwing every single pitch. So, yes, it does help, but it hurts more. It's not like you play in an abnormal atmosphere, then you go on the road and play in a normal atmosphere. No, no atmosphere is normal, and that's part of the problem of building a roster, of building a pitching staff, of winning consistently, which is part of the reason, you know, and also you're not spending the huge amounts of money. But that goes into the reasons why it's so tough to win consistently in Denver. Thomas, uh, I want to hop in and ask, uh, other than obviously the huge sense of relief, what were some of the other uh, key takeaways and key emotions out of this announcement for, for Todd and his family? Well, I think it just feels like everything has fallen into place for Todd. About three years ago, he came back to the organization as a special assistant to the GM. He only works in the minor leagues. He um, He's come to Denver for a couple of like honors and, and things like that. But he is in there on the ground floor working with all the minor league hitters and helping them out. He comes to spring training. He's not even at the major league games. It's with the minor leaguers, and he really loves that. Now, I think when some of those guys begin to make the major leagues, he'll be a part of it. But having that come together, seeing his family there with him, I think that that made a huge difference for Todd. You know, a guy that you know, during his career, you didn't know how things were going to end up because – there was a time they almost traded him to the Red Sox to get rid of his contract. 
but he actually expressed to them, hey, I want to stay. And really, he was kind of the driving force behind the team that went to the World Series in 2007, the same year he was nearly traded to the Red Sox. But he had told the Rockies, hey, it would mean more to me to win here than to go somewhere else where, you know, they have the money and all those other resources and win. So that's why he's so beloved here. And I think that's why so many of the Rockies fans also were really pulling for him. And I tried to avoid a lot of the online stuff. I mean, it's it, it's almost overwhelming, but I know that they put up a big argument for him whenever someone would vote against him. And Thomas, yeah, you kind of uh, walked right into another question I wanted to ask. Isn't it just so refreshing and uh, rewarding to hear stories like that of, yeah, either a hometown discount or just that over, overwhelming sense of loyalty toward a franchise to ultimately now, as we see, with the ultimate payoff? Yeah, it is good. I mean, I think all these careers belong to the player. I mean, they're, they're short. When you look at a lifetime, Todd Helton is 50 years old. 17 years is not a lot as he hopefully continues to move into old age, but it's short but very intense. I think you should have the right to determine where you want to go. I mean, the first, what, um, eight years or so if you're drafted, you have no control over where you are. You sign a contract and you still really have no control. Even with no trade clauses, they could trade you. But he had the opportunity to express, yeah, I want to go elsewhere. No, I want to stay here. Either one, frankly, would have been fine because it is his career. But in order to see him do that, that meant a lot to the people of Colorado. Thomas Harding, Colorado Rockies beat writer for MLB.com, joining us here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Um, again, five years he didn't get in to finally get it done this time, especially with some folks not voting for him after having previously voted for him. It's, um, you know, the balloting process is really odd, it seems. Yeah, and part of it, I'm going to defend it, although there are some votes that are hard to defend, and it's up to the writers to defend it themselves. So you have to be a member of the Baseball Writers Association of America for 10 consecutive years, then you receive a Hall of Fame vote. There is a time after you stop covering baseball that they take you off the roll. So those are, those are the basic rules. Beyond that, there are very few rules. It's intentionally vague. And I think with that... It does, um, it does make it the most controversial and probably the best Hall of Fame. The fact that you don't know who's getting in because there's a lot of room for writers to decide what they want to decide. I don't believe in taking the ballot from someone. I do believe, though, that as we get educated uh, on various things, the, the voting gets better. I go back to Larry Walker. At the end of his career, I remember him once telling me, I asked him about the Hall of Fame. And he told me, the only way I'm going to get in is with a ticket. But at the end of his career, he looked at his numbers. And also, we've come up with new ways to kind of compare players from era to era, and also within your era. And he was part of, and so, so was Todd, the era that we called the steroids era. And they weren't um, sullied the way others were in it. So you look at that, and also you look at the numbers and how they compared with their peers and how they compared all time. Those guys were Hall of Famers, even though somebody like a Larry Walker and didn't see it at the time. And a lot of times, as Todd has said, you don't play to get into the Hall of Fame. So you're not really looking at that. But after it's over and you start looking at your career and you start appreciating all that you went through, then, yeah, you want the song. 
Adrian Beltray um, received what ninety five percent of the vote. Mm -hmm. um, Todd got seventy nine and some change, just under eighty percent. Joe Mauer got seventy six percent of the vote. Um, obviously, we've known all along that Adrian Beltray was going in, deservedly so. Um, Todd was a little dicey, has been a little dicey. Were you surprised at Joe Maurer? I was not surprised at Joe Maurer. Frankly, I was surprised that Pelton was on a larger percentage of votes of ballots than Joe Maurer. Joe Maurer, the position he played for much of his career, and yes, things loosened as he went. He played some first base and DH. But at that position, I figured he was a first ballot Hall of Famer going into it. I think it's very deserved. Um, same with Adrian Beltre, the best at his position. And hey, if you have to wait five years, what difference does it make? You're there uh, you know, at the Hall of Fame and you get inducted. So I, I don't have a problem with that, too. I think that it should be hard to get into the Hall of Fame. Um, it should be maybe people really look at your stats and compare them against against others. I mean, there, there are people who were who were dead long before these guys were born. And that's the special thing about baseball, that you can um, compare those eras. So, you know, in a, in a way, it's controversial, but in a way, it's very special. I was just going to say, is that not what kind of makes the Baseball Hall of Fame so unique and uh, why there's always such a discussion about it? Uh, it seems like every year we're not analyzing percentage points of the NHL uh, Hall of Fame, it seems like, on a year-to-year -year basis, whereas baseball, that's kind of hallowed ground. And uh, to me, that's what's so exciting about this process every year is, yeah, we're breaking down the percentage points and the years that you're on the ballot uh, kind of plays a factor into that equation, too. And I guess... Not really much of a question in there so much as to say that I just really enjoy the process on a year-to-year -year basis. Well, the, the part of the process that I didn't agree with was when they went from 15 years to 10 on the ballot. But I think what's going to happen is a number of players that either drop off the ballot early because you can't vote that many, they're going to be re-looked at. Um, one guy that I'm wondering about, it, it, there are two guys that I'm wondering about in that respect. Um, Car, uh, um, first, The first one, I guess, is more recent. Matt Holliday. If you look at him, he dropped off the ballot this year. But if you look at some of the numbers that are cooked up, I think that um, Bill James has a kind of Hall of Fame likelihood number. And we're talking about um, and, and the number that he has in his um, mix of stats is 100. 100 and above, you're a likely Hall of Famer. Matt Holliday is like 105, 110. Really good career. In fact, a great career when you when you look at him compared to a lot of other guys. Years down the road, does he get looked at by a veterans committee? The other one is Carlos Delgado, who I don't know how he dropped off the ballot so quickly. But I, I look at that career and I say Hall of Famer. Um, hopefully some of the committees down the road will get them in. So there is another way into the Hall of Fame, and it's not a back door. It's another door. <laughs> Thomas Harding of MLB.com joining us here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. And Thomas, as you say that, and you mentioned you know, they went from 15 years on the ballot to 10 years on the ballot. If you run into a couple of years where there, where a lot of guys retired at the same time, you can kind of find yourself in a in a delicate situation, I guess. I mean, is that maybe what happened to Gary Sheffield this year in particular? I mean, were there just too many guys? Um, I'm not sure on that. I know that there was some... Um, 
some specter of whatever went on during the Balco case, which Gary Sheffield came out and said exactly what happened. And I think that's why he got more votes than maybe he would have otherwise. I think he's a guy that you have to look at as a Hall of Famer later on. Yes, he was not the greatest defensive player, but guess what? What position did Pete Rose play? Almost nobody forgets. He was a great batter, you know? Um, Gary Sheffield was a feared power hitter. I think he I think he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. If I had a vote, and that's a long story, they didn't let MLB.com into the organization for many years. At some point, I'll get my vote. If I had a vote, I'd have voted for Gary Sheffield. Would you have voted for Andrew Jones? And and now let me let me let me warn you before you right. answer that. The wrong answer might get you kicked off this show. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, I would love to examine his candidacy. When I, look, when I look at it, I look at things beyond just numbers because I think that you can become a stat goblin. You know, you, you come up with all these numbers and you control everything. I'm the evil stat goblin. He gets in, he doesn't. You know, I, I don't believe in that. But if you look at the numbers that he put up, especially during the dominant period with the Atlanta Braves, and something that's really important to me, he was the most dominant center fielder defensively of his era. Maybe one of the most dominant of all time. That's why if I were sitting down, crunching the numbers, I would lean toward voting yes on him. A number that I saw here in the last 24 hours, and either I had not seen it before or it just did not make the impact with me that it did when I saw it here most recently. Four guys in Major League Baseball history with 400 home runs and 10 gold gloves. Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., Mike Schmidt, Andrew Jones. Yes. That says a lot to me about a Hall of Fame vote there. Like I say, I'm not voting here, so I'm not, um, I, I, I'm not going to give a lot of comment until I'm actually sitting there with that piece of paper. Gosh, we're so old-fashioned. We're checking off ballots on a piece of paper and putting it in the mail. And putting I'm it like, in the mailbox. Yeah, it, it, exactly. I'm like somebody uh, probably faxed theirs in, Thomas. Yes, I don't know because that may be too far for the baseball writers. I've I've joked that uh, that at times technologically we're in the 1500s years. You know, while baseball has gone into this um, era of statistical uh, analysis, we're in the 1500s. But yeah, when I'm sitting down looking at that. That will be a number I'll look at. A lot of the counting stats, I hope they come back into vogue, as you know, with the players with the steroids hanging over them. It seemed like you threw out the number of home runs and a few things, or at least some, some voters did. I have my own opinions on that, but, hey, they're off the ballot, so I don't get to vote on those. Um, but when you look at it now the, with the game more, um, I, 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 I guess with that cloud not on the game, then you go back to those numbers. And especially, especially the 400 home runs and the 10 gold gloves, that really means a lot. I mean, gosh, when I was growing up playing baseball, the only thing I wanted was a gold glove. I'm like, can I get a gold glove from the Bluefield West Virginia Pee Wee League? I would, I would hope so. That's all I really wanted was a gold glove. So that means a lot to me. Thomas, as we go forward, who are some key guys that uh, either are going to be surefire picks for the next year or two, or who are some guys that are going to be right on that cusp again in the next year or two? Boy, you're you're hitting me because um, I'm actually not sure. I almost read a story <laughs> this morning that said who was going to be on the ballot. You know, the one guy that I'm looking at here locally is Troy Tulowitzki. It looks like he did not play enough because of the injuries. 
but you start looking at the numbers. You start comparing them to some Hall of Famers at the, at the shortstop position. You look at the seven best years of his, they're just short of Hall of Fame numbers. So that's the guy I'm looking at, you know, from a coverage standpoint. I'm sure that a number of great players are going to be on the ballot coming up. I mean, this was a this was a this was a pretty good year with uh, Beltre and Maurer, and um, I, I think that I, d I don't know exactly how this is going to work out. Seems like there are a lot of new voters coming on, so I'm not really at this stage. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just not up on it and not ready to predict it at this point. Thomas Harding, MLB.com, beat writer for the Colorado Rockies, joining us here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. You can follow him on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, at Harding underscore at underscore MLB. T, appreciate your time, man. Hey, thanks for having me, and anytime, Mo, baby. All right, thanks, guys. We'll talk to you. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to give you some of Brian Callahan's introductory press conference as the new head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Stay with us. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T-ball to college for 50-plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931-388-8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there, and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731, and schedule your tour today. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service, and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. 
Welcome back to Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. We are in our home, Lee Company Studios. Maurice Patton, Wade Neely, Chris Yao, a little under the weather. Hope to get him back in the rotation on Monday. In the meantime, he did leave us with a gift as he cut up Brian Callahan's introductory press conference from yesterday as he became the newest head coach of the Tennessee Titans. And I'm going to look at a couple of segments of that press conference. One is where um, new Titans executive vice president and general manager Rand Carthon and controlling owner Amy Adams Strunk talk about how they recruited Coach Callahan. So take a listen. And one name that's not a part of this organization that I feel the need to uh, thank is Zach Taylor, uh, head coach of the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Zach was, his um, ability to communicate with us, you know, about Brian is, I feel is unmatched and uh, I would be remiss um, if I didn't say thank you to him. So thank you, Zach, um, for all the, uh, all the help you provided. Uh, going into the process a little bit, um, as well documented, as you guys know, we interviewed nine candidates uh, over the course of uh, two weeks or so. Um, it was a long process. Uh, I feel like um, we met with a lot of candidates, uh, mostly via Zoom. Uh, we had one in uh, in person, um, as well as the uh, second round of interviews that were in person. And going into this interview process, we knew Brian was a really special candidate. We knew his background and his extensive experience. We saw the list of quarterbacks he's worked with and elite offenses he's been a part of. We knew about his deep knowledge and understanding of the game. And on a personal note, I knew that we both shared the connection of having fathers who passed down their love of football to their children. And after all that research and the reviews of people whose lives and careers he has impacted so deeply, then we got to meet Brian. He exceeded all of our expectations. It was clear how the meeting quickly shifted from your standard interview to a player breakdown session that he and Rand had a very special chemistry between them. This really is a lifelong dream of mine to, to be standing uh, at this podium in front of everybody here. Uh, to be a head coach at the highest level, uh, to be um, this franchise's head coach uh, is, an, is a great responsibility and an incredible honor. Uh, I'm excited to put in the work and hard work necessary uh, for us to be able to have the success that we all envision. Uh, from the moment of our first Zoom meeting, uh, I felt an unbelievable connection uh, to, the, to the people in the room. And that was, uh, as Rand mentioned, uh, Anthony Robertson, Chad Brinker, um, Rand Carthon was in there. Uh, Burke was in there. Bryce was in there. Um, just the connection from the get-go was, was incredible. And I knew that it was going to be a place that I wanted to call home. It felt like that from the very beginning. I do want to point out, um, really most importantly, though, that there was an instant connection uh, with Rand and I. And it, we see building a team, uh, we see the culture of the building uh, the same. And that's an important part uh, of this entire process. Uh, his energy and passion for the Tennessee Titans made me believe in him. Uh, and that's what made me want to be here 
standing in this room, and I'm, again, thankful that I get to be here because a lot of that is because of what Rand uh, presented as we started this process. He's an excellent communicator, and he's an outstanding person. Uh, he's earned my respect immediately, and Rand, I can't wait to get going. There's, there's, there's something special about where I came from uh, that I hope to replicate here. I think you can see it and uh, how I feel when I speak about it, uh, but I love going to work every single day there, and that's the environment we're going to create here. I want a place where people love coming to work, they enjoy everybody they're around, and that creates an environment that's sustainable and you can have sustained excellence and have a chance to win uh, a lot of football games. And so that's what we're after. Yep. All right, moving on to past the emotional stuff here. I'm glad that's over. Um, what we're trying to do here is establish a culture of high standards and clear communication, both on and off the field meetings, walkthroughs, practices, how we interact in the building, how we work in, the, in the, fr the front office, how our scouts work, how our players work, how everybody in this building works. Everyone's going to be held to a high standard. We want to be held to a high standard. I've never met a player in football that doesn't want to be held to the highest possible standard so we can go make that happen and get it done. There's going to be excitement to walk into this building every day. You guys saw how emotional I got talking about Cincinnati. Well, that's how I want our players and people to feel here. When you walk in the building every day, there's an incredible excitement about what's ahead. Anybody who deals with our players, the expectation is to bring great energy, have great experience, and have great expertise. We want everyone who affects them to be able to have that enthusiasm and our shared vision. We're going to be a connected football team. We're going to be a connected organization. I believe in it. If you don't have a connection, it's really hard to do anything worthwhile. The business of this sport really is all about people and relationships, and so if we don't have any sort of connection, there's really no point in us doing our jobs the way we do it. This is what makes it fun. This is what I enjoy the most, is being able to be connected with the people that I work with every single day. All right. Everyone wants to be something wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. That's what makes this sport special. That's what makes sports in general special. But if you're a part of something bigger than yourself, you sacrifice for the greater good. You give up some of your individual successes and aspirations so we can lift the team. And there's been that, that trait goes from high school through pro football. Every, every team I've been on that's been great has had those traits. And it's a critical part of building a great football team. Wade, you know, the one thing that I heard in that clip that, that Chris put together for us was the instant chemistry that Brian Callahan felt like there was between him and executive VP slash general manager Rand Carthon because we heard so much in the aftermath of Mike Vrabel's dismissal that there may have been a disconnect between the head coach and the GM there. So, one, it's always interesting that you don't hear those things until after the situation is over. But two, the fact that, you know, Brian Callahan stood up there and said that, you know, unprompted, basically, um, has to make you feel good about the collaboration between those two that was identified really 
as a important factor in whoever the next head coach was. For sure. And for me, it seems like the number one goal from this whole process was just to kind of reestablish that connection between ownership, general manager, and ultimately down to head coach and throw all the other football stuff to the side, the X's and O's, if you will. Seems like they've achieved step one in this process. And also, to me, it seems like they got a pretty good uh, head start on step two as well. Uh, so that, to me, seems like mission accomplished and just kind of getting everybody back on the same page. And you uh, you made a fantastic point. Isn't it interesting how we don't really know or don't really hear much of this or don't realize how much of a divide or schism in any sort of clubhouse or locker room there could have been until after the fact, it seems after like. The fact. Yep. Yep. And I guess maybe, I guess maybe folks are more comfortable discussing it at that point than they are on the front end. And, and I guess that makes sense, but still it's kind of unfortunate that, you know, maybe if you had talked about it, you could have fixed it. I don't know, but um, let's, let's dive into this second clip real quick, which is, you know, what, what Callahan envisions for this offense with Will Levis at the helm. Feelings about Will Levis, and uh, have you connected with him? I have. I have. I called Will uh, last, or I don't even know what day it is anymore, but uh, I called Will a few days ago um, after I got the job, and then I saw him here today. He, he was working out, so I got a chance to, to catch up with him. Um, I told him he's leaving town, I think, tomorrow morning, but he'll be back. But I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know him. Uh, I can't wait to get to work with him. Um, he's got a lot of really special physical talents um, that I'm that I'm excited to go to go see if we can make better and um, everything about him so far has been fantastic and I'm excited to get to go further down into it. Brian, your catalog of quarterbacks you work with is pretty extensive. What are some of the things you learned from guys like Peyton Manning, Stafford, etc., yep. Burrow that you want to bring to help Levis develop the way he Yeah, needs? I've been incredibly fortunate to be around great players um, and those guys all bring something different and unique. Uh, when you talk about Peyton Manning and his, his incredible ability to prepare, uh, the intention to detail that he brought every single day, the intensity that he went about his job, um, he shows he, those years I was with him showed me what it was like uh, to be what a great quarterback should look like. Um, and not everybody's going to be him, and nor is anybody expected to be. But uh, the foundation of how he went about his business was, uh, was pretty incredible. And I've taken that everywhere I've gone uh, as far as the work ethic involved, the attention to detail involved, those things are really important. Um, you know, obviously Matthew's a great player in his own right, and, and I learned that Matthew is very different from Peyton, um, but they were also uh, great players. And you let, go, you let those players be themselves, um, and I didn't try to make Matthew do anything that he didn't want to do. He's not Peyton Manning. Uh, their personalities are different, but they're both great players. Um, and what I learned, Matthew was an incredibly tough player. Um, I've never seen a locker room rally around uh, a player like him the way that they did when I was with him in Detroit. Um, he's one of the toughest competitors I've, I've ever been around. Uh, and so you, you, you see these traits everywhere you go and you start to realize uh, what it takes uh, for quarterbacks to be successful. And, and I feel like I've got a lot of guys I've been around. Joe Burrow, obviously, um, been around a different version of Joe. I got Joe as a, as a young player. A lot of these guys were veteran players when I was around them. Um, and Joe's a remarkable, remarkable player. Um, He's got a great feel for the game, and so to have an environment as a young player where he was growing um, and having conversations about what he liked and didn't like uh, really helped me learn how to be flexible with the approach uh, for those players and put them in position to do well. Um, 
as far as how they go about their daily routine, uh, what they like conceptually and schematically, um, those conversations in that in the quarterback room are are able to help foster uh, hopefully a lot of success. And so, how would you describe, or how would you want others to describe your teaching style, your coaching style? Um, my coaching style is is uh, consistent. Uh, my demeanor is pretty consistent. Um, I pride myself on being a great teacher. Uh, that's first and foremost. As a coach, that's all you really care about is, is how well can you teach and articulate to the players what they need to do. Um, I, have the, I have plenty of intensity. Um, I'm a pretty laid-back demeanor most of the time, as you guys will see. But um, when it's time to make, make corrections and, and bring the energy that's necessary, I can do that. Um, but my coaching style is, is a teaching coaching style. Uh, we're trying to make sure that our guys know exactly what to do, how to do it, um, and can go execute at, at, a, at a really high level and as fast as humanly possible. Protection's been a huge issue here the last few years. Yeah. How confident are you in your ability to help identify players who can fix yeah. that? And how much schematically can you fix that? Um, there's a lot of things that go into protection. Um, some of it starts with as simple as uh, you got to go win. Uh, you got to win versus tight coverage. Um, protection is, a, is an everybody problem. Uh, the quarterback's got to get rid of the ball on time. Uh, they have to move, work through progressions quickly. Um, so to say that it's a, it's a specifically the offensive line needs to fix the protection problem, I, I don't agree with that. Um, I think it's a, it's a holistic offensive issue uh, if you have protection problems. And there's a lot of ways you can uh, help weaknesses, um, highlight strengths, and everybody's involved in the process. Um, as far as profiles of offensive linemen and players, you know, obviously you're looking for, for those, the guys that are great at pass pro. Um, you're looking for guys that can anchor, guys that got great length. Um, you know, we'll talk about all the traits at a later date, but um, schematically you can help a ton. You can chip, you can bang edges. Um, backs got to be fantastic in pass protection. They got to know who to block and how to block them. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a holistic offensive issue. And so our job is to find a way to make sure everyone knows all the specifics of what we're trying to get done, and then they can technically go execute it. Will you be the offensive play caller? And yes, I will. So yes, I will. How big of a transition do you expect that to be? Uh, not a big one at all. Um, the way we've worked in Cincinnati, uh, very collaborative. Um, I've been with Zach for five years, uh, working with him as, a, as the primary play caller and me as the offensive coordinator. Um, I feel really great about the process. Uh, part of that is bringing in great people to help me. Um, and that's, that's a, huge, a huge part of our next couple weeks is finding those people. Uh, because when you have uh, an offensive staff that you trust and guys do a great job with their areas of expertise, our third down, our red zone, by the time you get to Sunday, the game plan is, is mainly set. Now where, the, where guys are in their stripes is when you have to uh, adjust and adapt mid-flow mid of a game. And that's where you, you have to have great people involved in the game plan. But I don't see it as a big adjustment. It's going to be a collaborative approach on offense. Collaborative. You know, we heard that word a lot. In, in the week and a half that this search was going on. And, and so it was kind of um, interesting to hear Brian Callahan use it during that discussion of his assuming play calling duties and what else would be going on with the offensive staff. It, it's interesting. He is going to be the sixth youngest coach in the National Football League. He will just have turned 40 when the season starts. He turns 40 this summer. Um, but... To me, it seems like for a 39-year-old guy embarking on his first head coaching job, 
Seems awfully poised. Seems poised and definitely seems like he's got some uh, references uh, in his stable. Uh, you know, Peyton coming out and offering great words, uh, speaking on Coach Callahan's behalf. Obviously, Matthew Stafford coming from that McVay uh, tree obviously carries a lot of weight these days in the NFL. So uh, hard kind of not to be excited, and it kind of goes back in lockstep like you uh, mentioned a moment ago. Kind of got the front office realm of this whole thing sorted out, but it also seems like we, we definitely have some collaboration going on uh, with the X's and O's of the team, which I think has got to be exciting. Yeah, and, you know, when he referenced some of the quarterbacks that he has worked with, uh, uh, Yao and I have discussed on more than one occasion on this show, it's a quarterback-driven league, and you got to have one, and you've got to have a report with that guy in particular, and it seems like Brian Callahan and Will Levis should be able to, to develop that to the, you know, to the benefit of the, the team and the franchise as a whole. So, um Looking forward to where this thing goes, obviously. Um, looking forward to where we're going, because when we come back from this break, we are going to talk a little bit more with Titan insider Terry McCormick as he gives us his daily Tennessee Titans update here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Stay with us. Since 1975, Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic has treated the orthopedic needs of Middle Tennessee residents. The trained physicians provide surgical options and minimally invasive options to treat all orthopedic needs. The walk-in clinic, OrthoQuick, helps you bypass the ER while treating sports injuries and acute needs Monday through Saturday. Visit MTBJ online at mtbj.net or on social media at Mid-Tennessee Bone Joint Clinic. So we're a little south of the top of the hour, but we are back here on Main Street Sports today. Maurice Patton, Wade Neely, and Terry McCormick with his top of the hour Titans report, sponsored by Zen Sports, where betting just got better. Terry, talk to me. How are you guys? It is your daily Titans report, and how as always by Zen Sports. Uh, I was very impressed with Brian Callahan yesterday in terms of what he said. Now, obviously, there's more than just talking a good game and uh, being able to articulate what you want to do. There's a big difference in that and actually doing it. But uh, I think one of the things that stood out to me yesterday in his press conference, he was asked about, you know, what it was like in the lean years with the Bengals. That was when he first got there and he was you know, talking about the pre-Joe Burrow Bengals and Burrow's rookie year where he was injured about halfway through. And I think 
they won maybe six or seven games over a two-year span, not very good. But he said that he and the staff under Zach Taylor, that despite the fact they weren't winning, they could tell that progress was being made. And they could see the pieces coming together and seeing that, you know, once those things started to fall into place, that it would work. And as we all know, in 2021, coming off of two terrible years, they went to the Super Bowl. So, you know, I, I don't expect a real quick, quick turnaround here with the Titans. I think 2024 is going to be a rebuilding year. It's going to be a year where, you know, Callahan learns a lot about what he's got and the players learn a lot about Callahan. I think that by the end of the season, if you're seeing progress, I think that would be certainly something to, uh, you know, measure this team by. If Will Levis has gotten better and is showing more and more signs of being a franchise quarterback, I think that that is, you know, that's something you can measure the 2024 season by. If the offensive line improves and they, you know, say cut the sacks in half, if they go from, you know, 64 or whatever it was this year, if they got that to 30-something, I think you'd be very happy with that. So I think this is a situation where, as they say, Rome wasn't built in a day. I think, you know, Callahan may be, be exactly the right guy for the job, but it may take a little time to find the pieces that fit the way he wants them to fit around Will Levis. Terry, you talk about this may not be a quick fix or a quick rebuild with this team, but I would imagine, and maybe I'm playing a little devil's advocate right here. Um, are the Tennessee Titans, as they make this transition to a new coach, in a worse place than the Houston Texans in the same division were as they made the transition to D'Amico Ryan's? No, they are not. I mean, I think they're probably a little ahead of where the Texans were. The one area I would say that the Texans probably have an edge, and it's a big one, uh, would be the offensive line. With Laramie Tunsil, they added George Fant in the offseason. So their offensive line was markedly better, especially in pass protection. And then, uh, you know, when you brought in uh, – Ryan's brought in Bobby Slowick, who he had familiarity with in uh, San Francisco, and – you know, it landed a gem of a quarterback in C.J. Stroud. And plus you had, you know, a guy like Nico Collins who hadn't done much and, you know, all of a sudden developed into a real, you know, deep threat and a guy who could really, you know, make plays for you. You know, maybe maybe Callahan can do the same thing with Traylon Burks. I don't, you know, I, I, you know, if you're a Titans fan, you're certainly hoping for that. But in that one area, the Texans were better. The question is, the Titans, is how close can Levis come to being a franchise quarterback in year two? Can he make a jump? Is Does his year two look more like Josh Allen, or does it look more like Daniel Jones? And I think that that's what, you, what you, you're wondering about if you're this Titans team. You know, I think that the, the talent's there. I think the, the work ethic is there. The smarts are there. I think the pieces are there. It's just a matter of Callahan – leading the horse to water and the horse wanting to drink. I, I guess my, yeah, yeah. I guess my concern is just, you know, if you are a Titans fan and you are looking across your division, you see this team got a first year, uh, first year coach 
a rookie quarterback and won the division, but you want us to be patient. And I'm not sure that that's. Uh, that's that's a fair point. It's a fair yeah. point. But I will say that rookie coach, rookie quarterback winning the division, I think that's the outlier rather than the norm in most situations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, no. you know, and, and when you look at the rest of the division, though, I, I'll say this. When you look at the rest of the division, not, you know, not the Houston Texans, when you look at Indianapolis and, you know, you know that Minshew's a free agent and that Anthony Richardson is the guy there going forward. But I would I would argue that the Colts are in a worse situation quarterback wise than the Titans are because they didn't get to see very much of Anthony Richardson. He's essentially going to be a rookie this year. And the Jaguars, I don't know what they're doing down there. They just fell off the face of the earth in the second half of the season. They looked a lot like the 2022 Titans. You got to hope if you're a Jaguars fan that they figure things out and that the window doesn't start closing because Houston has passed you and you worry that the Colts or Titans might might pass you too on your way as they ascend and you fall. So, you know, with Trevor Lawrence, that shouldn't be a problem. But I will say this. Trevor Lawrence has been good, but he's not been the all-world guy that everybody thought he was going to be uh, coming out. Hasn't done that so far. He's been a second-tier quarterback when everybody thought he was going to immediately jump into the Mahomes, Burrow, Lamar, uh, you know, Allen conversation, and he hasn't done that yet. Yeah. The thing is, though, as you look around Trevor Lawrence and you see Calvin Ridley and you see Evan Ingram and you see Travis Etienne, you feel like there's plenty there for him to work with. And maybe this year was just a, a blip. Maybe this was an aberration. Maybe this was, you know, the abnormality, like you mentioned, with Houston this year. But um, it's it's certainly interesting to look across this division as you look at the new situation here in Tennessee. So that's, I think that's worth paying attention to division wide. Wade? Uh, Terry, obviously so much of this hire is going to be focused on uh, the ownership and the GM and, and the coach being now in harmony together. But I'm also curious, the other talking point will be the development of the quarterback position. What did you take away from the press conference in regards to the defense going forward? Well, I think the defense right now is kind of a question mark. He said that, you know, the five-man front, whether it's a 3-4 or an underlook, uh, is currently the rage in the NFL that you have to have that. So I don't think he's going to ru rush out and grab a guy that's going to go back to the old 4-3 that they ran under uh, Jeff Fisher and Jim Schwartz and, and all back in the day. But I do think there will be some of those concepts. There will be – some 4-3, much like what uh, Mike Brable did on defense with multiple looks in certain situations. You'll want to give a 3-4 look or you'll want to give a 4-3 look and adjust to the down and distance and the personnel that are on the field. Uh, one of the guys that I think he's asked permission for to uh, uh, interview for the defensive coordinator is a guy named Denard Williams. Uh, Denard Williams, I believe it is, or maybe William Wilson. Wilson. I think it's Wilson. Is it Wilson? I think it may be Wilson. I believe it's Wilson, yeah. And he actually goes back to uh, the Rams days when Rand Carthon was there and uh, actually was on Jeff Fisher's staff as a young pup of a coach. So uh, 
now he, he he's most recently been with the Ravens and the Eagles, and you know those two defenses are certainly uh, the Eagles last year and the Ravens this year and the Ravens every year for that matter uh, are really good defenses. And so uh, if you bring in a guy who has uh, had that bloodline and stuff and has that uh, on his coaching resume, I think uh, you know that's certainly a a plus. Now, the other thing I would say this, if you don't go young, it kind of appears that Brian Callahan is going to go young in a lot of positions. There was a report that he's uh, interviewing a guy that he worked with with the Raiders named uh, Holes, H-O-L, Nick Holes, I think it is, uh, that is uh, the passing game coordinator for the Jaguars. That there was, He'd asked for, for permission to interview him for the offensive coordinator job. So sounds like he may be willing to give some guys a shot that have, you know, that are like himself that haven't had a shot. That said, I do think it, you always benefit by having somebody there who's been there and done that, mm-hmm. you know, and who knows, maybe the been there and done that guy might be his father, Bill Callahan, if they can get him out from under his contract in Cleveland. He's under contract. So we can't talk about that. Right. <laughs> Smart man. <laughs> that was that was Brian's reaction to that yesterday. Terry McCormick, Titan Insider, joining us here as um we continue to take a look at the Tennessee Titans. And um there's gonna continue to be talking points coming out of St. Thomas Sports Park for the foreseeable future and, and Terry, we're expecting you to keep us up on that. So Will do. All right. Hey, tell us about Zen Sports. The new sports betting app exclusively in Tennessee the last few months, and I'm excited to share with you some big news. Now, when you sign up for a Zen Sports account, you will receive up to a $1,000 no danger first wager. That's right. When you place your first bet in Zen Sports with up to plus 500 odds, you can be reimbursed for the amount of your bet up to a $1,000 maximum within 24 hours if the bet loses. And there's more good news Zen Sports is rolling out its brand new VIP rewards program. This new VIP rewards program will allow top-tier customers to earn more bonuses, comps, and perks. The VIP program is by invite only, so if you feel your Zen Sports Play qualifies for VIP consideration, please check out the program details and apply at zensports.com slash VIP. No other sportsbook will offer you a premier sports betting experience with 24-7 top-tier customer support and faster withdrawals than Zen Sports. So what are you waiting for? Get going and download their app at zensports.com today. Zen Sports, betting just got better. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-889-9789. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 and older and in Tennessee to bet. Smiles. These are the healthy smiles of real Delta Dental members. Folks with access to the nation's largest network of dentists and low deductible plans with 100% preventive care coverage, all backed by over 65 years of expertise. Go online or give us a call to learn about affordable individual plans that meet your needs. 1-855-844-0445. This holiday season, the largest lantern festival in the country returns to Nashville Zoo. Witness more than 1,000 handcrafted Chinese lanterns featuring brand new designs, including towering mythical beasts, 
a life-sized Santa's workshop, and a 100-foot-long dragon. Welcome back to Zoo Illumination at Nashville Zoo. Bigger, brighter, and better than ever. Street Sports today presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint as we are coming to you from the Lee Company Studios at our homes. I'm Maurice Patton. That's Wade Neely. Chris Yao, sidelined today, should be back in the lineup on Monday. So um, forging ahead with our weekend update here on Friday. And we are now joined by Southeastern 14's Chris Lee. Another big weekend of SEC basketball coming up this weekend. Chris, thanks for joining us. Can't hear you, Chris. Sorry. Uh, there not, we go. Not the best. Yeah. Not the best slate of games we've seen this weekend, but the good thing about the league this year is most of the teams are are pretty competitive on a, a night in night out basis. You know, Georgia LSU, like bottom half of the league teams, but they could, they can pop up and beat somebody. I, I think it's going to be a, the games on a, on a game per game basis are more interesting than I remember most of them being in a while. You know, Chris, given what we expected out of Arkansas at the beginning of the season, I'm intrigued by this Kentucky game tomorrow evening. I'm I, honestly, I'm not. Um, really? I I think that I think that team. Mo, I'll, I'll put it this way: you, you and I have covered teams where the, the difference between where they should be and where they are mm -hmm. is miles. Yeah, and and this, this was a those, team. Huh? Yeah, and look, I looked at their roster. They had, I think they had the first or second most experienced team in the league based on minutes those guys played at Arkansas and other places a year ago, and they're talented. Caleb Battle. Tremont Mark, uh, you know, bringing back Debo Davis. They have some dudes on that team. And so here sits Arkansas, one and five in the league. Five of those losses have been by 10 points or more. And the one they won, Mark hit a, a shot with two seconds left to beat an A&M team that just can't shoot most nights. And so I, I just look at this team. It's a team to me that I don't see the intensity on the defensive end. Something's wrong there. I, I don't think this is a, they're not very good. I don't know where the disconnect is, if it's between players and players, coaches and players or whatever. But to me, that's a team that looks like it is either thrown the towel in on the season or is close to No, look, I, I say that. I may look like an idiot tomorrow. It's a game day thing. Maybe they show up and it works. And Kentucky just went on the road and it, and it didn't look good last time out against South Carolina. But just based on what I've seen for them, for the last, I don't know, four or five weeks, I, I'm. If, if there's a more disappointing team in the country than Arkansas, I'd like to know who it is. Okay, I um, I defer to you on that one. So tell me this, and you said it wasn't a great slate, but um, is there a game that particularly gets your attention tomorrow? 
I think the headliner is probably Auburn at Mississippi State. Auburn came off a bitterly disappointing loss at Alabama, but was right there to the very end and one of the best games we've seen in college basketball. Mississippi State's really good and experienced. They they can grind you defensively, and it's it's at the hump uh, where a lot of teams have, have gone to lose. Um, Tennessee knows uh, a little you, bit about Tennessee. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and look, Tennessee's been pretty good against every and, and Tennessee – Made it close, but that's that's life in the SEC. I think um, Ole Miss A&M is intriguing. The computers are all over the place on this game. A&M cannot shoot. And, and there's this little weird dynamic with the matchup between those teams. A&M, I think A&M's strategy is almost to throw the ball off the backboard and get an offensive rebound and a putback because they get some of their points that way. Um, Ole Miss has real trouble with rebounding. Ole Miss blocks a lot of shots. A&M gets a lot blocked. I don't know what to make of A&M. I had them as preseason one or two in the SEC. They're, they're not going to get there because they can't shoot. But Wade Taylor can also give you 40 any night. I think that's a good one. Um, Georgia-Florida. Uh, Florida finally won a big game, and Georgia's been really competitive night in and night out. Florida's about an eight-point favorite. I could see Georgia making that a game. Florida really needs to put back-to-back wins. And I think the other one, um, probably Missouri South Carolina. I know Missouri's not very good, but Missouri hangs in there and competes with teams. Tamar Bates has been really good lately. South Carolina's come out off a huge win over Kentucky, biggest one in years. How do they handle that? Um, th- those, to me, I probably find more interesting than, than Kentucky-Arkansas. But, you know, look, Arkansas could show up and surprise me. So, um, I'm sure Chris Yao is listening or keeping up with us, Chris Lee, and he is exhibit A that battered ball syndrome is real. Tennessee goes to Memorial Gym tomorrow night for a five o'clock tip central time. And, you know, there is history as yeah. recent as last year. Does Tennessee get out of there with a win? Oh, yeah. Um, look, look I, I get last year, but let, let's start. But th- this is nowhere near last year's Vandy team. Okay. Um, th- they've got two good guards in Mignon and Lawrence. And, and I like Jason Rivera-Torres, too, as a freshman. Mm-hmm. But th- th- their front line has been in shambles. It wasn't any good before Colin Smith got hurt. Tennessee's got dudes. I mean, I don't know if you went to the SEC tournament. You went to the SEC tournament last year. I don't know if you you have the concourse and you stand around and you look at teams. And, and Tennessee looks like a, I don't know, a bunch of six, seven rush ends. They're, they're just big and physical. And the one thing Tennessee's lacked is, is a dude who can go get buckets at the end and be a guy. They've got that now. They're really complete. I think Tennessee's going to have more fin- fans in the building tomorrow than Vandy. I don't know what the spread on that is. I don't think it's come out yet. The computers have it around 17. I could see Vandy keeping it to a 10 or 12 point game because that's kind of what they do. But they're nowhere in the ballpark of last year's team. And and Tennessee's a better team than the one that got beat here a year ago. And that's where I was going to jump in with that, Chris. Uh, One key thing that you did not uh, or maybe didn't even know was I was in the building for the 2007 win over Florida. Uh, the number one ranked Gators yeah. going down. Uh, I'll be there tomorrow. I'm not saying that Vanderbilt does pull the upset, but you're uh, insinuating it seems like 
maybe keep it close, but not quite enough for any uh, another dose of Memorial Magic. Yeah, th- those th- those were fun times. I was there for that one too. I mean, they they had it going it's back then. Then, because I was there too. <laughs> oh, I mean, it was that was a good time in that building. It's I I walk in. And I don't go much anymore. I got a couple of guys to cover for me. I stay home and, and run kids here and there and watch them from TV and other games from TV. But when I go, it's depressing. Um, I went for the Dartmouth game. There might not have been 2,000 people in the building. I was the only media guy there. It's just it's unrecognizable what what Vanderbilt basketball is right now. Hmm. Other. Uh... I guess while we've got you, Chris, uh, other than that game and, and the few that you've mentioned, what are some key games, especially as it's always interesting. This is when Michigan is not doing well. I'm a Michigan fan. When Michigan is not doing well, my interest in college basketball is not as prevalent until after football kind of really winds down. And so I'm curious, as we kind of kick into this second part of the season, who is an SEC team that maybe is not on the radar just yet from somebody Seems like Arkansas is off the table in your mind, at least, but another team that could potentially make a second half surge in the league here. Well, that that's a hard question to answer because, like I said, this this is a deep league this year. Now, I don't know that they're going to send ten teams to the big dance, but but they might send eight and and three or four to the NIT. I think um, I see the hierarchy. I see Tennessee and Auburn at the top, probably in that order. I see Alabama and Kentucky next, probably in that order. I see Mississippi State right there, probably a little bit behind. Florida's got a chance. Florida's not really beaten a lot of good teams yet, but it's a consensus top 50 computer team. I watch them. I like their parts. I like the job that Todd Golden's doing. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of really good teams in this league. I think Mike White at Georgia's done a good job. Um Matt McMahon at LSU, things are starting to come together. Mm-hmm. You know, they beat A&M on the road a couple weeks ago. They're competitive most nights. Had a Jordan Wright had a shot rim out that would have beaten Georgia. I mean, I, I think it depends on what you want. If if you're looking for you know a team that could go deep in March, I, I could give you one answer. If you're looking for a team um, that that could sneak in the tournament that one are expecting, well, that that would be South Carolina. I haven't brought them up yet. They're having a phenomenal season. I kind of keep waiting for it to. I'm not going to say fall apart, but but take a notch down, and then they do that to Kentucky in right. a game that really wasn't competitive. So I mean, that's that maybe that's your, that might have been your answer. Although, you know, look when you, you, you beat Kentucky like that, uh, you you sort of lose your sleeper status. So yeah, not sneaking up on anybody quite as much anymore. Right. The thing is, when you beat. Kentucky like that it, it's almost like a where has this been all year now how do you follow it up becomes the yeah. question does it not well I, I don't know that it's aware I, I think that they have come as close to hitting their ceiling as any team in the league and, and they're, they're not they're really they're not as talented but they are really experienced I said Arkansas was I think the the most experienced team in the league based on minutes played a year ago Carolina's number two um and they weren't bringing in McDonald's All-Americans and transfers from Kansas or anything like that, but dudes who had played. And honestly, I thought losing Miles Studi to a shoulder injury, they got four guys who can really score. He's one of them. I thought that that might knock them down a notch, but they played without him against Kentucky and played better than ever. 
you just never can figure it out, can you, Chris? You can't. Not not not. And that, but Bo, that's what makes it fun. I mean, we watch the. I've got two TVs going every night. I got two partners doing the same, and we do predictions every week. And I don't think there's three guys doing a, a show anywhere that are watching more ball than we are. And we're missing on a bunch of games. And I don't think it's because we we don't do our homework and don't see. It's just the the league is that good and that balanced. And it's also tough to win in somebody's building. Mo, you look around, when we grew up on SEC basketball, you would see crowds at Vandy and at Kentucky. When Arkansas joined the league, you would see them there. And then and then maybe if Tennessee was good, they'd pack the place, but then they wouldn't. You know, Alabama would for good teams. Auburn, Georgia, they didn't care. You turn on the TV any night, and the building is either energized or go back to a year ago like to where Missouri isn't good this year. Maybe their fans aren't as excited after the winless start in league play. But that place was electric last year under Dennis Gates. It feels like we're just at that point where you've got all the fan bases in the league either really excited about basketball or, or that close to being once they have a reason. Chris Lee of Southeastern 14 joining us here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint, giving us a little insight on SEC men's basketball. And Chris, as always, we appreciate it and uh, yeah. look forward to getting with you again as we get closer to postseason play. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Chris. Hey, when we come back here on Main Street Sports today, a little NFL chatter or a little more NFL chatter. So stay with us. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T-ball to college for 50-plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931-388-8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there, and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731, and schedule your tour today. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. 
ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Welcome back to Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. I'm Maurice Patton. That's Wade Neely. Chris Yao is on IR, formerly the disabled list. Um, should be back with us on Monday, hopefully. We'll see between now and then. But in the meantime, it's the weekend update here on Friday and updating some NFL goings-on. There are now two NFL coaching positions, head coaching positions available. One, oh, they're on opposite coasts. The Washington Commanders and the Seattle Seahawks are the only two yet to hire someone because the Falcons announced yesterday that Raheem Morris is their guy. And wait, the headlines are interesting. Falcons hire Raheem Morris despite interviewing Bill Belichick. Uh, Falcons hire Raheem Morris. What happened to Bill Belichick? And and obviously the thought process was that Bill Belichick could get any job he wanted. I don't know what happened between the Falcons and Belichick that they did not go in that direction, but I commend them because that would have been the easy hire. No doubt. And you could hire Bill Belichick, and if it doesn't work, well, it's still Bill Belichick. I mean, it must have been something else. I mean, it couldn't have been him, right? But if you hire Raheem Morris, who went 17-31 and 31 in his only previous head coaching gig um, at Tampa Bay, I think, and then he was 4-7 and seven as interim coach of the Falcons earlier. But both of those were more than 10 years ago. And you know who else didn't have a lot of success in their first head coaching gig? Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick. So, um, again, I commend the Falcons. I mean, they they put themselves at risk, obviously, because if it doesn't work, they're going to get killed. You hired this guy instead of Bill Belichick? But clearly they've got their reasons. And... I'm 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 intrigued. Yeah, I'm I'm a little intrigued as well, and this is kind of a little bit of a head scratcher for me in the sense that Belichick was linked, you know, almost instantaneously with the, with the Falcons, and there hasn't been a lot of chatter about him for really pursuing any other options. It almost felt like he and Arthur Blank. It was almost as if it was just a a courtesy and. Almost felt like, hey, we're going to bring you in and just for the formality of it. And, and if nothing else, we did get the sweet picture on social media of Bill Belichick in a downtown Atlanta Chick-fil-A. Uh, so at least at least that's uh, going to live on the Internet forever. But to me, I, don't, I can't put a finger on it. I don't know why, but it just felt like it was just a 
friendly type gesture from Arthur Blank to bring in Belichick because that was the one position that everybody kind of was scratching their heads is why is he potentially going to pursue that? You know, the Chargers obviously seemed like a dream destination for the guy. And just for whatever reason, um, Atlanta popped up immediately. And I guess we're looking at a situation where he's sitting out this year. You got to think with the cachet and ego that that guy uh, seems to carry at least that he's going to want to get back in and try and make a real run at that, that wins record. So um, that's, it's kind of a head scratcher for me, but I do think Raheem Morris, you 100% are correct when you're saying uh, a gutsy move by the Falcons, because yes, you could have easily hired Belichick. And if it flames out, like it very easily could have flamed out. You say, Oh, well, we, at least we hired the hall of fame coach. Whereas now you're potentially making a longer uh, play uh, even though some people may not be able to see that just yet, I suppose. I'm, you know, again, wait, there's so much that goes on in these situations that we are never going to know all the inner workings of. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't. I don't know. But it's almost like the perception was Bill Belichick, if he wanted this job, he was going to get it. You wonder if. Either A, he pulled back, or B, once they interviewed, they pulled back. Yeah, and it the interesting thing to me was, yes, that it was not just a slam dunk and there was not this massive rush outside of the Falcons to go out and hire Bill Belichick. And uh, I'm still kind of scratching my head because I thought, for, I thought he was going to end up back in New England this year. Uh, it just felt to me – like he was going to end up back there, and then the thing went down so fast with him stepping away. The press conference, you know, lasting, what, five minutes, um, which Mayo, I think, is going to end up being a great selection there. But it just seems like there wasn't that huge rush to go out and make a run at this guy for whatever reason. And I just feel like there's something more at play that, yeah, maybe we're not totally privy to. Um, and you make a great point. Maybe we shouldn't be privy to, I guess, at this juncture. Meanwhile, again, Washington and Seattle are the the final two positions open, and I don't know where Mike Vrabel stands with Seattle, but I continue to be intrigued by those two just from the standpoint that the day after he was dismissed by the Titans, the Seahawks announced that that Pete Carroll would not be coming back. Maybe it was totally coincidental, but... I feel like, again, Vrabel is a guy who, one, is going to coach again. And two, is going to be good when he does. So, Yeah, and uh, two other quick things, and I'm pulling up an article from Sports Illustrated, uh, rest in peace, I suppose. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take that for what it's worth. Um, but it's talking about Mike Vrabel. But number one, remember all the chatter about the Titans and, ooh, we didn't trade Vrabel or didn't entertain talks for trading Vrabel. And it seems like if they had waited, they would not have been able to cash in on the Callahan hire, which by all accounts seems like was their guy. So in a sense, it seems like the Titans made the right move, at least if that's who you target as your guy. But the Seattle and Vrabel Chatter is definitely going to be interesting. I can see him absolutely thriving there, and I'm with you. He's going to 100% coach again. But per this SI article, 
there's, this is from a mailbag too. So now we're a mailbag within an SI story. But some speculation floating out that this could be the last hurrah for Andy Reid. And you got to wonder what becomes of that potentially. Um, is that a spot where Vrabel is playing some sneaky 3D chess that we're not even privy to just yet? Um, I would presume Belichick is not uh, in the mix for that equation if that were to happen. But um, just kind of something to potentially wonder if potentially Reed does step away after this year. Yeah, Yao and I talked about that earlier this week. And if Reed were to step down, one, I don't, I think it would be a shock. I mean, this guy's 65 years old, as we mentioned when we discussed it earlier this week. I, I, I don't know where that's coming from, but I mean, I guess you never say never, but. I wonder where Eric Bieniemy figures into that situation. Should it take place, I would. That would be a phenomenal uh, reuniting uh, if they could get back together. Um, and and I think when you look at what Kansas City has or hasn't done in this year that he's been gone as OC at Washington, where not a whole lot has changed on the field. But that offense has not been what we've seen it be in previous years. Is that the enemy's absence? Who knows? And I haven't been um, keeping up with the chatter, sorry, with uh, the commanders and how he's not gotten the vote of confidence and just writing a passage right into that position. I'm kind of a little mystified by as well. Yeah, well, Washington going Washington, right? Um, the... Associated Press MVP finalists were announced, I think, yesterday. And Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, and Brock Purdy are your finalists for NFL MVP as voted by the Associated Press. Thoughts? You know, this is a, a year where it doesn't seem like there's a clear-cut winner. I think Lamar is going to end up winning the award, and I think he had a great season, uh, which would be pure poetic justice after the offseason that he had if he comes back and follows it up with an MVP. And uh, I just don't think it's going to be as big of a runaway as we've seen. Uh, there's not that one automatic MVP this year. So I think it's going to be Lamar. Um, Josh Allen certainly made a, a crazy run. And Dak Prescott certainly had his moments. There was a three- or four-week window in the back half of the season where he was really clicking and things were really flying, and then that seemingly kind of fell apart at the end. Um, I'm going to go with Lamar on that. But I don't think it's going to be a slam, slam dunk uh, like we've seen in years past. I think it's Lamar as well. And – I think the success that Baltimore has had with him kind of elevates him above most of these folks. Obviously, McCaffrey and Purdy are still playing, and maybe they split the vote. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure that Brock Purdy is ready for that level of, of hype. I'm I'm just not sure that he consistently performs to that level maybe. So it'll be interesting. 
I agree with you, though. I think it's Lamar Jackson and then everybody else as far as that list goes. So I think he's going to win it. I think he's worthy of winning it. I just think it's going to be a little closer than some of the MVP races that we've seen in years past. There we go. All right. Um, Justin, let's take a break and then come back and talk a little championship weekend and some predictions for the AFC and the NFC representatives in Super Bowl 58. We'll do that when we come back here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T-ball to college for 50-plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931-388-8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there, and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731, and schedule your tour today. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service, and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint, the final segment of the week. I'm Maurice Patton, that's Wade Neely, and um, let's talk Championship Sunday, Wade. Going to be a good um, one, I think. Yeah, which, which game is first? AFC will play first, which uh, someone mentioned that to me earlier in the week, and I, I'm assuming that these are on a rotating basis, because someone... Uh, 
this person said, why, why is that game first? You know, the ratings uh, for the second game are not going to be as great. And I just assume that's on a rotation. Well, um, I, I imagine it might have something to do with the fact that San Francisco is on the West Coast, too. That that also is in play, too. But uh, yeah. I think we're in store for two really good games, and we will get into some picks later. But uh, it, it really is kind of just flown by. It seems like literally just a few weeks ago uh, – the season was just kicking off and here we are, we're down to the final four. Absolutely. Um, Baltimore, Kansas city, I feel like is going to be a heavyweight fight. Um, again, you've got the two quarterbacks. One has been there, done that. The other one trying to, you know, kind of cement his legacy to some degree. Um, and, I, I don't think this has necessarily been the Kansas City team that we've become accustomed to seeing over the past few years, but at the same time, they've found their footing when they needed to. They look rejuvenated in the playoffs. There's no question about it. And they seem like you can't just discard what we saw for 17 weeks, but it certainly seems like they are really playing at a different level these last two ball games. Yeah, and and it's tough to it's maybe it's just the okay we're in the postseason let's do what we do. I it, it's tough, like you said, to discount that seventeen games and some of what we saw over the course of those seventeen games. But they they looked they looked really good against Buffalo, I think, and. Um, I think Baltimore is going to have their hands full in this one. Yeah, I'm predicting, like you said, it's going to be a heavyweight uh, slugfest. I I don't think it's going to be very aesthetically pleasing, uh, which (laughs) is right up the Ravens' alley, uh, just per their tradition of the way that that team has been finding weird ways to win games for seemingly the last 30 years. And uh, I think it will be a close game. I'm leaning Baltimore in the game. I would not be shocked, obviously, if Kansas City wins just with Mahomes factor alone. Seems like last week they just rolled him out and rolled Josh Allen out, and they said, look, guys, we're just going to let the two QBs go at it, and Mahomes just eked one out. I'm leaning Baltimore, though, in this game. I think it's going to be close, uh, but I think, Lamar, this is the chance to, like you kind of alluded to, really kind of cement his reputation, his legacy, so to speak. Um, J.K., what are your thoughts about Baltimore and Kansas City? Um, honestly, hold on, give me one second. <laughs> He's collecting his thoughts. He is. I think, uh, you know, I, I would love to see Lamar uh, take that that last turn into being goat and have his legacy cemented. But it's just, man, I think that the moment's going to be too big for the team. I don't think too big for him, but I think the team – uh, the Baltimore Ravens are not going to get it done against the well-oiled machines of the Chiefs. I think I think experience or like experience of being there at that on that stage is going to make a difference. Um, yeah. I tend to agree with you, Justin. I think, as we just mentioned with Kansas City, they are really looking, been there, done that, and and I think that ultimately that's going to be the difference. And and like you said. I think Lamar comes up with a fantastic ball game. I just don't think it's going to be enough. I like Kansas City in this one in part because 
uh, think I picked them back to the Super Bowl back at the beginning of the year, so kind of got to stay with that, I think. <laughs> um, Yao has weighed in with the Ravens, so we've got two Ravens and two Chiefs picks here. On the NFC side, you know, Detroit, I don't know if you want to say, say has come out of nowhere, but certainly that's not a name that we have been talking about this time of year in a long time. And um, I'm, I'm intrigued by whether or not they are able to keep up this level of play on this stage. I mean, that's what this game boils down to, right? You got the well-oiled machine of the 49ers who have looked like a juggernaut uh, virtually the entire season. But then right here, just at the end, have kind of flashed just a little bit enough to make you wonder about them. Meanwhile, Detroit, um, as our faithful Chris Yao said, they feel kind of like a team of destiny. They're kind of a hot team right now. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're setting up for a, a big game as, or another close game and a, and a entertaining game as well. And a lot of folks, yeah, the, the same folks that were asking me, why is this game the second game? I, I can see this one being just as entertaining as the first. Oh, I think it's going to be entertaining. Um, I, I, when we were breaking down the NFL again, back at the beginning of the year, I expressed my concerns with the Lions quarterback. And every now and then he will make a play. Now he has, drastically reduce those plays but he will make a play that'll leave you scratching your head for sure and I don't know that there is room for that in this ball game and so for that reason I'm going to take the 49ers I'm with you I'm taking uh San Francisco as well even though they showed a little bit of weakness last week I think the Packers were probably the toughest matchup that they could have drawn mm-hmm. uh even as a seven seed, even as the seven seed, even obviously the Lions uh, winning the division, and to me it kind of comes down to you've talked about preseason predictions. Had the Lions winning the division, I don't know if they're ready to take that linear proverbial hump just yet into this year. I think getting to the NFC Championship game is going to be a phenomenal run, and I, I, I think it's where it's going to end though because San Francisco got that extra seasoning. Um, and it does just kind of feel like we are maybe due for a head-scratching decision from golf at some point in uh, in a big game like this. And so not saying that Purdy is elite by any means. Uh, right. We could easily see that as well. And if both the quarterbacks are struggling to play, I think it's game on. And then maybe even Detroit is able to somehow win a an ugly-type game. But to me, it just feels like San Francisco is going to win this game. Uh, Vegas got them roughly a touchdown favorite. Uh I can see it being a little closer than that, but I think something like 24-20, give me San Francisco winning that game uh, at home out on the West Coast. J.K., real quick, what you got? Uh, real quick, I'm going to go with Detroit. Uh, I think that, you know, they beat the Chiefs first game of the season, and uh, 49ers are human. They they got beat by a couple teams this year. So I'm going to go forward. I'm going to go Detroit for sure. Two and two. Check back with us Monday. See what we come up with. This is it for Main Street Sports today. See you. <laughs>